One of the things that I always notice during worship, and it happens in different ways, um, and I'm sure it happens for you uniquely in the same way that it happens for me, is there's a sense of power in worship. Um, When we come together as God's people, when we come together in the corporate setting, we access into God's power. And um, oftentimes when we sing songs or in moments of prayer, or even perhaps even for you, it's in a sermon or something that is said, um, you experience, you know, sort of a a quickness of the heart. Anyone ever had that? Like all of a sudden it's like there's something extraordinary in this moment. There's power. Um, I believe that that power is very real. I think it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But, and I think this is an important distinction that I want to make this morning, especially because of the passage of Scripture that we're talking about. If there is power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, And we live in a spiritual struggle. If you read the book of Ephesians and you get into the armor of God passage right near the end of the book, you're going to see that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the powers of darkness in this world, that there is also powers of darkness. And I believe in the same way that we experience the Spirit's power, there's also that power. And I want to be clear about that. Because I think as we, as we as Christians, um, you know, we use this word in our world and we certainly have these spiritists and new age folks who talk about like magic or the power of the universe. I think it's one of the reasons why something like Harry Potter became such a big thing. Anyone ever read all the Harry Potter books? Many of you have. I have. I've read all the Harry Potter books and I've seen the movies. There's a reason why that connects with our culture is we're seeking that sort of power. And I think that that power, not just for good and the power of God, but also for the power of evil is real. I actually believe, and I may be wrong in this, and you can argue with me about it, and I have no problem with that, that there are people who are like magicians and that they actually have access to a spiritual power not of God. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of like illusionists or going to shows in Vegas or anything like that where you see this, these, these um, magicians and stuff like that. Even watching shows about street magic gives me pause because I think that there's actually some of that power in this world as well. And that gives me concern For us, as God's people, that sometimes we don't recognize that power as real. In our passage this morning from the book of Acts, part of the reason why I think this is that Philip and Peter recognize that power is real. And in Simon the sorcerer, which is a unique word that we would have that in Scripture, sorcerer, one who practices magic, We see how that power is recognized in a person and how Peter specifically counteracts that power and recognizes what turns one to the power of God in the fullness of their heart. So this is probably a little bit of a unique sermon for some. You've probably never heard a pastor talk about the power of magic in the world. But if we are going to be Christians who acknowledge that there is a power of God and that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against darkness, then for us to acknowledge power, especially when we see a passage like this that speaks of a sorcerer, is really important. Because we live in a world that is longing for some of this 
and participating it in ways that take us away from the glory of God and for us as Christians to pursue the glory of God. That's the hope this morning. As we dig into God's word from Acts chapter 8, let's pray for God's blessing and presence in our time. Father, um, we praise you because you give us access to your power. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask for that power this morning, that the power of the Holy Spirit is present here. And that, Lord, you overwhelm all thoughts that take us away from you, that you overwhelm all powers that take us away from you, that you, Lord, fill this space with the power of your word, that power to transform us and touch us in the depths of our heart and in our minds. Lord, where we know you and we can engage in deep, intimate, heart-complete relationship with you. And in that, Lord, we have a deeper access to the power that you hold for us. I pray, Lord, for people here who come with questions and concerns, that there are things in life that they're wondering about. And I pray, Lord, as we speak of the power of your presence, that that is a comfort and an encouragement. That in those questions and in those concerns, in those challenges, Lord, that the answer is always, God's power is present in my life and I will trust in it through Jesus Christ. Father, meet us this morning in your word. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. We're looking in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. If you are not sure where that is, it's going to be about a quarter of the way from the end of the Bible. Acts follows the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts is the book right after John chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. We'll read 9 through 13 to start. Now, for some time... A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, Let's be clear that we don't know what the sorcery was that Simon was engaged in. And it could be, and I don't know if you've ever seen like TV shows that sort of dispel illusions, like someone will show a trick and then they show somebody how they did it. You ever seen any of those sorts of shows or someone shows you how a magic trick works, magic trick? Um, maybe he was an illusionist. Maybe his was sleight of hand or maybe he knew how to distract people in order to be able to do the, the tricks so that they wouldn't see. But the fact is that Scripture names it as sorcery. And God in His Word can name things what it is that they are and that the text says sorcery leads me to believe that there was some element here in which Simon himself was tapping in to the power of spirits. 
This is a person who had access to something that was beyond the power of this earth. But it's striking to me that even though he, what does it say? It says he boasted that he was someone great. And the second thing that is said about him, the people say he is called the great power of God. Despite those things that are said in the text, what do we hear at the end of that section in verse 13? It says this, Simon himself believed and was baptized. He followed Philip everywhere. What does it say? What's the word? What's the word? Astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now what's interesting, we don't even know what those signs and miracles that he saw were. So they were perhaps not even the same sorts of signs and miracles that we see elsewhere in the text. Like Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus feeding the 4,000 or the 5,000. Jesus showing the power of miraculous healing. The apostles showing the power of miraculous healing. We don't even know. Maybe it was simply that they touched and something changed. Not even a huge and enormous power of God because it's not named in the text. Maybe it's simply an expression of a, a, a power of God impacting simply one person and not a great multitude. And yet even that power astonishes and amazes because the power of God and the Holy Spirit compared to the, any power of this world, it doesn't hold a candle. And that's beautiful. It's a beautiful reminder to us that no matter, because sometimes, I don't know about you, I get fearful. I'll tell you one thing that freaks me out like crazy. I hate horror movies. Anyone else hate horror movies? They are bad, evil, wrong things. I especially hate the horror movies that have to do with spiritual things. And one of the reasons why I hate those sorts of horror movies is they give me a little bit of pause and a little bit of wonder. Is it possible that something that evil might exist and be able to show its power in the world? And I get a little hesitant and I even get a shortness of breath. In fact, when I was in high school, and I'm not kidding you, this actually happened. All my friends, we would get together to watch like two or three movies. You ever get together with a big group of friends, watch two, three, four movies at a time? We actually watched 13 movies one time in 24 hours. That's what we did. Crazy. We were teenagers and Canadian. Yes, James, you're welcome. That's what we did. Okay? And they made sure that at least two of those movies, because they picked them when I wasn't there, were horror movies, because I would sit and curl up into a ball, cover my face, and yell at the screen the entire time. Don't go in there. Don't be foolish. You're going to die. Stop it. Those movies make me nuts. But part of the reason why they make me nuts is they give me pause to wonder about that power. But despite that, no matter how true something like that power might be, when it comes in contact with the power of God, this power stands amazed and astonished. I can't even fathom that sort of power. Remember, we worship a God who said, come in essence, and the mountains sprung up out of nothing. That the universe 
comes at His Word to exist in all of its fullness. An infinite fullness as physicists discuss the universe. And yet, that's the power of God. And when it stands before any other power, the other power is always astonished and amazed. Now, one thing to also notice is that Simon, as he was engaged in this power, it gave him something. Before he met Jesus, it gave him popularity and prominence. And my guess is, as well, we see it later on in the text, it made him wealthy. And those things are dangerous things. In fact, those of you who know anybody who deals with fame on some level, and I do not like celebrities, but people who have prominence in terms of being writers or, or speakers or strong Christian leaders, that one of the things that they will tell you is the danger of celebrity, even minor celebrity. Because in that, suddenly you start to think thoughts about yourself that begin to control how you see the world. You begin to think, boy, I must be all that in a bag of chips. I must be pretty special. I must, there must be something unique and good about me. And we can see that playing itself out in Simon's life that he would say, that I am an important person, especially when people are saying to him, you are the power of God. Be careful when you say someone is the power of God. Not just because what you're saying might not be true, but what you're saying to that person might hurt them deeply in their future. The passage continues, verses 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... First of all, remember, this is the great dispersion of the gospel. In the book of Acts, at the beginning, we see persecution come. Specifically, that revolves around the power of Saul eventually to become Paul. He starts kicking the church wherever he can find it. He's throwing people into prison. So people are going out from Jerusalem, but the apostles are not. The only apostle that we know who started it was Philip. Philip goes out, and Philip ends up in Samaria. Now, Samaria, remember, these are people not well liked by the Jews. If you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, that whole idea of that parable is that a person from Samaria would not like or care for a Jew, and Jesus turns that whole story on its head in the parable. So these people from Samaria were, in sense, enemies of the Jews, and that the gospel is not only going there, but it is flourishing through the ministry of Philip, then the other apostles are hearing of this and saying, okay, but Philip's going to need help. If Samaria, Samaria is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we need to send help. So they send help. They send, they send Peter, was it Peter and John, to Samaria. But what's interesting is the dialogue that begins to happen when Peter and John get there. And it's an important passage because it helps us understand a little bit more about something we studied several months ago, the Trinity. 
These people have been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that that has power in their life? It does, of course. Jesus Christ is the one who changes salvation, the story of salvation, and the story of eternity. So they have, been, they have become Christians, followers of Christ. And yet, there's something that's been missing, not only from their understanding, but from their experience of God. And that misunderstand or that that lack of understanding or that missing piece yet is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John lay hands on the people and in the laying hands on, on the people, then suddenly the Holy Spirit is present in a powerful and new way. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read, and you know I read these things perhaps too closely and I get caught up in stuff. When I read that, I begin to wonder, how, have we re- know, how do we know that we have received the Holy Spirit? How do we know? Okay, let me ask this question. In, Acts, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, what is the sign that the Holy Spirit comes? Do you remember? Speaking in tongues. Okay, now I'm from a Christian reform background. Many of you are as well. How many of you have spoken in tongues? A couple. Our Hispanic brothers and sisters in the back. God be praised. And Colleen, God be praised. But hold on here. If that's a sign in the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit being present, does that mean that we have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying that it is, but at least it should force us to ask some questions. How do we know that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit? I can tell you how I know, because I do know. Here's how I know. I know one of my spiritual gifts, the extraordinary spiritual gifts. One of my extraordinary gifts is the gift of prophecy. Okay, that's one of my spiritual gifts. And how I know that the Spirit is at work and present in me through the power of that gift is this. There are so many times that I cannot even name them. When I will stand in front of you and I will speak a sermon to you, I will share what I believe God has given me over the course of the week. And somewhere during the message, there will be a left turn at Albuquerque that I wasn't expecting. And I will start saying stuff that I was not planning on saying and hadn't even thought of until that particular moment. That happens a lot. And some of you might wonder, well, Pastor Scott, don't you plan your your sermons? Of course I do. I try to map out what, what, what it is that God wants me to share with you. And yet, I also understand that God moves the way that God moves. And here's how I know that's the power of the Spirit. Because so often, those are the moments that people like you come up to me after the message and you will say, how did you know? Why are you talking to me? Stop looking at me during the sermon. And friends, it's one of the reasons why I move around so much and I look around. I am not writing this sermon or any other sermon for any of you individually, except for George Jerusalem, and that's like every other week because he needs it. The rest of you are part of the body of Christ and I'm preaching to the body of Christ and yet I see God showing up through not even my preparation, just through His presence speaking into your life. 
Here's another way that I know that the Spirit is alive in some of you. Because, like even this coming Tuesday, we're going to have a gathering of the elders of the church. And I can guarantee you, because we'll open that time with prayer, we're going to spend some time talking about some different things. And I can guarantee you that there will be at least one or two, if not 10 or 15 moments, when something will be said that is clear and abundant wisdom. Which is also, if you know your text, a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And that wisdom will not come from that individual. It will come from God speaking into a situation that needs his wisdom. So it's not just dependent on whether or not you have lived into glossalia, which glossalia, if you didn't know your Greek, is speaking in tongues. It's not if you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have the Spirit. It's for you and I to ask the question, what gifts has God given me? And how is it that he is expressing those gifts in a way that is clear in my life? How am I, this is the key question, tapping into the power of God that he has offered me through Jesus Christ? That's the question. And in the story that we're reading from the book of Acts, as God's people who had been baptized into the name of Jesus were laid on hands in what? Faith. The Spirit exploded. And so for us to understand that faith is the absolute key to understanding the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. It's extraordinary. You cannot control it because it's God. You cannot, you not, you can't just say, okay, Holy Spirit, come, and the Holy Spirit's gonna do it your way. That's not the whole way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit may come, but it may not do it your way. It may do it your way, but it will do it better than what you were expecting, because the Holy Spirit can't be controlled. For us to tap into that power is acknowledging with all of our lives. Jesus is Lord, but we welcome the fullness of the Trinitarian God into our lives. This is a Trinity passage that is absolutely key. You and I are saved through the grace of Christ, but through the will of the Father, and assured of that through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is important to our walk with Him. The passage continues, verses 18 and 19. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. Okay, as soon as we see that, we should, be given, we should, we should give pause, right? First of all, the reason we should give pause is he's trying to buy off God. And for us to understand all of this, that all money, all things, all of creation is the Lord's, he doesn't need you to slip him some change. Doesn't work that way. God doesn't need to be paid off. However, that's the power that Simon had at his disposal and that he had experience with. The power that, of the sorcery that he experienced and the power of the prestige and the money that it gave to him. And so he longed for more of that. Give me this power so that I can heighten my presence and my prestige among the people. Because can you can imagine, if suddenly the power of God can tap, how much more does his fame grow? And of course, Peter sees 
right through that. Here's what it says after that. It says this, Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord, testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, of course, what we will do is we will say, Simon, you're such a doofus, right? Because he is. He tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in some ways, and we need to acknowledge this, Simon wants good stuff, doesn't he? We know already that he has been baptized into the name of Jesus. We know not only that he has been baptized, it also says that he believed in the Lord Jesus. And out of that belief in the Lord Jesus, he wanted more of God. And his idea of getting more of God in this situation was to say, then give me the gift that gives me the power to bless others with the Holy Spirit. That seems on some levels, like a good thing. But he was doing it wrong. Because he wasn't doing it with the right heart. He was doing it with selfish motives. And he was doing it, and this is key, out of an old way of doing things. All right, real quick, turn in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's a little later on in the text, a couple books later. 2 Corinthians 517. Some of you should have that memorized. I expect some of you do. But if you don't, it says this there. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Simon is living into the old way and Peter is recognizing that old way of power in his life and saying, "Uh uh-uh, Simon, that's not the right heart. That's not the right way to approach the throne of grace, to have access to the Father and to experience the power of the Spirit. That's not how this is going to work. You can't live into your old way that has prestige and power and wealth connected to it. This is not about you. This is about God. And in order for this to be fully and completely about God, what needs to be right? What needs to be right? That's my question for you. What needs to be right? Your heart. Your heart needs to be right. And whose heart is it then? It's God's. How much of it? Full and complete dependence on God. This is not about anyone ever getting anything for themselves. This is ultimately about us pursuing the things of God and longing for more of those things. I got to tell you, one of the problems that I have with my spiritual gift of prophecy is that I've seen it at work. And when I see it at work, here's the problem. 
had a boy, nice job, which means that oftentimes, I won't say oftentimes, it's happened that I'm like, okay, God, let's do that again. That was pretty cool. For whose sake? My sake. Which means that my heart is not in that place. It's not in that place of full and complete dependence on God. Friends, you all have gifts, and there's not a person sitting here in this room who doesn't have gifts. For some of you, I can name them. I see them at work in your life. God has equipped you to powerfully see His kingdom grow in the world around you. God be praised for that. But then allow God to be praised for it and not Scott or Ben or Jess or anyone. Allow Him to be praised. And how do we allow Him to be praised? Full and complete heart. Open before Him. You do your will. You do what it is that you want to do in me. You've claimed me through the blood of Jesus. You've called me by name. You've sacrificed everything so that I might have life. And now I have it in the full with the gifts of the Spirit within me. And because you have done all of those things in gratitude and thanksgiving to you, I will say, here you go. Take it. Use it abundantly. Not for me, but for you. For your glory, full and complete. Do what it is that you are willing to do in me. Now, here's the thing, friends. This doesn't happen overnight. There's some of you, how many of you have been following Jesus for more than 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Some of you are going to, you're already hurting because your hands are up so long. 60 years? 70 years, 80 years. Are you people like 120? Like what's going on? Of course. You got it figured out? Have you got it figured out on how to give yourself fully and completely to God? Full and complete dependence? I've been doing this for a long time. And there are some days when I wonder if I've ever graduated from the kindergarten school of spirituality. This is a process. And for us to see that in this person, certainly we can indict Simon. You were trying to engage God of creation with some cash. Are you crazy? But for us to understand, that's our journey too. We've just done it differently. We've done it in our own unique fashion. We've done it in ways, friends, that they may not end up in the Bible. But they look just as foolish. And for us to remember then for our journey to continue. And how does that journey continue? Full and complete dependence on God. How do you go home from church today? Full and complete dependence on God. How do you wake up tomorrow morning? Full and complete dependence on God. Yes, you can say it. How do you go to work tomorrow? Full and complete dependence on God. How do you be a parent or a child? Full and complete dependence on God. How do you do anything that you do? Full and complete dependence on God. And then that means our journey this week is to say, Lord, how can you take more of my heart 
so that when I do whatever I do in your gifts or just, Lord, with whatever abilities you've given me, that I am doing so with the fullness of my heart in a way that points all glory to you. It's never about me. It's always about you. May you go from this place today, friends, engaging not in the power of this world that may get you prestige, money, power, or any other things, but instead engage with the deepest, the greatest power of all, the power of the creator of the universe, the power to redeem, transform, save, give purpose, hope, life, love, grace, gifts, all those things. Engage with that power by giving yourself fully and completely to him and then watching what he's going to do next. Let's pray. You redeem, O God, our lives from hopelessness. And not only do you redeem us, but you also give us great access to power and transformation through the Holy Spirit, which we know is alive in our lives. Lord, may our journey today and in the week ahead be about full and complete dependence. May our longing be to give more of us, to be less of us, so that it's more of you. More of you in our lives, in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our family, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our being a son or a daughter, in whatever it is that we're doing in the week ahead. Some of us are going on vacation. Lord, may we go on vacation full and complete dependence on you. May we say what we say immediately after the service ends in full and complete dependence on you and and be able to, Lord, in our minds, in our brains, move that switch that says, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm strong. I have capacity. I have ability. And instead say, without God, I am nothing. But with the work of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, I have access to the greatest power that anyone has ever known. Lord, may we access that power through your work of making us less and making you more. And you're the only one who can do that. We pray you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen.